Welcome to Rob's Reliability Project, a podcast for maintenance and reliability people to better themselves both at home and at work. Now let's get rolling. Welcome to Rob's Reliability Project. I'm Rob Kalvaroski. Thank you for listening to the show. And if you enjoy the podcast, please subscribe to Rob's Reliability Project on your favorite podcast platform, as well as share it with your colleagues. If you're looking for more content, check out or follow Rob's Reliability Project on LinkedIn and Facebook for some different types of content and check out robsreliability.com as well. If you're looking for a short daily audio tip, subscribe to Rob's Reliability Tip of the Day on your favorite podcast platform. As well, it's also available on Amazon Alexa as a flash briefing. So check that out. Finally, if there are any topics, guests you'd like to hear from, questions you want answered, or if you'd like to appear on the podcast, just send me an email to robsreliabilityproject at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Now let's get rolling. Hey guys, I'm excited for this one. As always, I'm here with Peter Horsberg. Peter, how are you? I'm very well, sir. Yourself? I'm doing great, and I'm excited to talk to you today. So for people who are listening who don't know Peter, he's the author of Five Habits of an Extraordinary Reliability Engineer and also the founder of Reliability Extranet. So Peter, before we dive into the five habits, can you give us a little background on yourself? Like, How did you get started in reliability? Oh, that was a uh, a long time ago. Um started when I was actually a cadet mechanical engineer uh, working in the mining industry where I was actually asked, I was given a task to set up Maximo from scratch, i.e. I had to install the software on the server and then set up all the hierarchies and, and maintenance plans in Maximo from scratch for a coal mine. So that's where I got started. And then immediately after that, the next job I had was um, an RCM job. <laughs> so I got to link, I sort of got to link the two together all in one. And, and as a consequence of that, my uh, when you finish university over here in Australia, um, you have a thing called a final year project, which is, you know, a combination of all your knowledge into one thing. And uh, I actually did my final year project was an RCM project on a piece of underground mining equipment where I actually used RCM and linked that together with some cost modeling. And uh, based on the RCM um, maintenance strategy or resulting maintenance strategy, better words, uh, we forecasted how much per tonne a continuous miner would cost you to uh, operate. So that was my final year project. So that was um, basically uh, as I was finishing university is where I got got started in, in the reliability game to answer your question. <laughs> they started you off uh, pretty big, eh, with CMMS implementation and an RCM. Yes. <laughs> and then, and then, yeah. And then from there, um, got into uh, availability simulation stuff like trying to forecast um, what would happen from a, a long-term capital spend type idea based on a number of different options. So I really got into, I, I think, I don't know if you used the words 
um, tarot technology, but the the financial side of of reliability and forecasting what's going to happen into the future. So um, I got into that next. That was sort of the next thing after the after the uh, after the implementation and the RCM stuff. <laughs> I I am a fan of the financial side of reliability. That's sort of where I cut my teeth as well. So. It's good to talk to you about that. <laughs> yeah, well, it, it, it's sort of, it, you know, that's, that's you know, the sharp end of the stick, if you want to call it that, where, you, you know, you've got to put the rubber on the road and get the funds to do what you need to do. So that's, um, yeah, it, it was certainly interesting, put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> so you, you've written five habits of an extraordinary reliability engineer. Like what, reg, what led you to write that book? That's a really, really interesting question, and my initial response to that is I'm not 100 percent sure. <laughs> but, but um, uh, I, I did. Um, as you mentioned, I'm a, you know a CEO of um, of a company and founder, and I actually did a business course over here in Australia um, called Key Person of Influence, and um, part of that book. Uh, part of that uh, course was actually they uh, gave you a book coach uh, to write to write a book, and um, and his name was Andrew Griffiths, and uh, he helped me um, uh, write the book. Um, but I really wanted to, you know, I, I don't know if you've, you know, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People and and Stephen Covey. You know, I'm a big fan of that book, and and um, you know, he said, uh, you know, a person. Is to live, to love, to learn, and leave a legacy. And part of that, the five habits is I'd, I'd like to leave a legacy in the world, and 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 that's that's part of it as as well. And uh, writing a book is is a bucket list to, thing as well. Um, to answer your question, now, I know that's a little bit convoluted. There's no real, <laughs> there's no real one reason why I wanted to write the book. Um, it, it you know. It was something that I wanted to do, something that, um, you know, I'd, I'd like to leave a legacy in the world and try and capture some of the stuff that I've learned over the years into into a nice consolidated um, and into a nice consolidated place and, you know, all the ducks lined up and, and the five habits popped out. No, and, and that's really interesting, right? Like a lot of people that we've talked to on the show, they're, they're kind of concerned about losing knowledge with their, you know, their aging staff. And, you know, part of this show as well is, is documenting knowledge and, and helping people learn from stuff. So it's, it's really interesting how, you know, at the end of the day, we're all about learning and we're about teaching. And regardless if it's audio format or book format, we're trying to get better. Yeah. And it's, um, if there's 15 years of knowledge say, in, in, in my book, one of the things that I want um, people to be able to do is read the book. And so it takes them three months to read the book. I want them to be 14 years and nine months ahead of where I was by reading the book. So that's that's where, that's where one of the things that, that I'd like people to, as an outcome of, of, of writing the book, is, you know, to be ahead of, of where I've been and, and not make some of the mistakes that I've, that I've that I've made, um, and uh, learn some of the lessons that I've learnt uh, over the years that are contained in the book. So, yeah, fully agree. Awesome. And I guess jumping off that, 
Can you give us some of the mistakes you've made and what you've learned from them? <laughs> yes. Well, um, the way that the, the structure of the book came about um, essentially from a, a brainstorming session um, that I did, and I, I remember it very, very clearly because um, you know I've got I've got a family, wife, and, and three kitties, and my eldest one um, was actually at a she's into drama and dance and stuff like this, and we're actually at an audition, and I had two hours, and I was sitting out. Uh, out in the nice Australian um, autumn's um, sunshine <laughs> um, with my computer and um, as a part of, of this business course that I mentioned, I had to sit down and think of all the problems and mistakes that I've had over my career. So I just did a, a complete brain dump of all the, all the things, all the events that I could happen. Um, I, had, I had two hours to spare and the whole lot just dumped down. Um, and there was over, like there was over a hundred, I've got this huge mind map and happy to show you one day there, Rob, um, of, of all the mistakes and problems that I've had over my career. And then what I started to notice was, Ooh, hold on. These, these are sort of like common or there's common things that are starting to happen. And, um, and this is where, um, the five habits started to form because they all started to form into five groups and it was the five things um, that essentially I didn't do, or the five mistakes, let's call it the five mistakes, um, or the five don'ts as I talk it in, into book, in, 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 in the, actually in the five habits. And those five mistakes is that I didn't identify um, problems. I didn't understand something. I didn't question something. I didn't uh, decide with data and I didn't change. So they were the five essential mistakes out of that large brainstorming session that I had. And it, and it led to well, you would know, Rob, being a reliability engineer at, at times is frustrating. Yeah, and I've been I've been frustrated over times. And then if I, if I thought about um, the alternatives or what what I should do, which led to the five habits. And if if someone gets the five habits right, okay, in my humble opinion, um, that frustration would be removed. And they would be a very, very confident and extraordinary reliability engineer if, if you can get it right. Now, I don't profess to get them to be able to get them um, uh, right all the time. Um, I am human. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that's, that, that's essentially the, the fundamental mistakes, um, you know, and, and um, it leads to, you know, that, that frustration um, that I'm that I'm talking about it, it makes the job frustrating if you, if you don't use these five habits, and if you do do them well, I believe that you would be a confident and extraordinary reliability engineer. Hence the title. <laughs> no, that's great, and really, you know, when you mentioned frustration, it's something that I see a lot. I was also frustrated throughout my career, and you know, for me, that's one thing I. I tell the listeners is, you know, if you're getting frustrated, like feel free to reach out to me and like, I'm happy to, to talk, but like, how do you, when you get frustrated and, you know, a lot of the times with us in reliability, it's because we're trying to recommend something. We're trying to make the world better and people just aren't connecting with us. Like, how do you push through that frustration? Okay. 
so um, Lee, leading on, well, I'll just I'll I'll start from the start, and um, I'll talk I'll talk about the five habits, and then I'll talk about um, the order of the five habits because it's not if you were to implement this. Let's talk about let, let's go into implementation. Um, I'd actually start with some base skills, and base skills are habit four, which is decide with data. Okay, and then you go one, two, three and then five, okay, if, if you wanted to learn how to do this. And and this is exactly in in what we call the Extraordinary Reliability Engineers course. That's exactly the order that we actually uh, introduce the five habits. We start with four first, and then we go one, two, three, then five. Um, so I'll talk about what the five habits are. So I'll relate it back to the problems, and then we'll talk about each, each one after that. So I mentioned the problems there just a little earlier where we don't identify um, uh, problems. Obviously, the opposite to that is to continually identify problems. That's habit number one. Um, habit number two is um, based upon not understanding. Uh, so you learn to understand. Um, habit three, the root of that problem um, or the problem is that you don't question things. So obviously, you question to find alternatives. And we, we like I've introduced a framework on how to do that, and I'll, I'll talk about that in a second. Uh, decide with data. It's because you're not presenting um, information uh, in a way that people say yes to things, or you haven't got the haven't got the base data for some reason. But ultimately, where you want to be with decide with data is people going yes, we want to do that. Okay, that's an outcome. And then rubber on the road, getting it to happen. Okay, so people have agreed, yes, it's, it, we're ready to go. We want to do this, is facilitate the implement to make it stick. Okay, so making the organisation change. And this is where Habit 5, Facilitate the Implement, came out. Um, I've been the one, I've, I've tried to bulldozer changes through an organisation, being, being um, a leader uh, in certain, in certain organisations that I've worked through, worked for uh, over my career and, and failed, simply failed. And um, so what I've tried to convey with uh, Facilitate the Implement, some of the tips that I've learnt across the way in, in reliability engineer speak <laughs> is what I've tried to do. So um, in what we teach, uh, some of the base skills is, um, is habit four. We start there first, okay? Decide with data, okay? So it's all about manipulating data and presenting data in a, in a way that people can, or ultimately what you want people to do is people saying yes. And and when I say people, I mean management, okay? The technical people in your organisation, so scientists and engineers and whatnot, and also your um, tradesmen and slash craftsmen. So in Australia, we call craftsmen tradesmen. Um, so it's the practical people in the organisation, the, pe the people that will be doing the hands-on with whatever change that you're you're uh, looking to implement, okay. So you need to convince basically those three parties within the organisation. So okay. So well, essentially, um, in my humble opinion, those organisations, they, they, those three people, those three mobs, or groups of people. Sorry, I just used a bit of slang there. Um, those three, those three groups exist in the organisation. So you've got management, you've got the technical people. Okay, so the engineers and scientists, 
and um, the um, the hands-on type people, the tradesmen, craftsmen, uh, process people. So you'll notice um, in the book there's some cartoon characters um, with each of those genres of people or types of people in the book. So um, there's Jackson the the tradie or craftsman, Jackson the tradie. Um, I actually had an interesting question about Jackson. Um, this gentleman uh, rang me one time for some some advice, and he said, "Did you base Jackson on <laughs> blah, this particular person?" And I said, "Whoa!" Uh, and I knew this particular person, and he's like a big, like he's a big guy. He is a big guy, and I said, "Well, uh, I could see why you say that. I could see why you say that because I personally know this guy." And I said, well, not quite. He's actually based on Conan the Barbarian, <laughs> which this guy is like Conan the Barbarian, and, and he's one of these hands-on practical guys. Um, and um, anyway, that's, I'll leave that there. Um, so then you've got um, Paul the manager and Gertrude the scientist, and each of those three characters appear in the book and on purpose um, because um, you need to convince those three parties. So if you haven't got the base skills, right, in deciding with data and being able to, um, you know, present data simply um, and effectively so that people go yes, you're sort of going to be a little bit, it's going to be a little bit hard-pressed to move on with habit one, okay? So that's why we, in the Extraordinary Reliability Engineers course, start with habit four, so that gives you the base skills to move on to habit one where we start identifying problems, okay? Um, so what we do there is there's two types of problems. Um, we call it, I talk about acute and chronic problems, okay? And essentially your process of identifying problems should identify both, both acute and chronic. And it should be continuous. It never stops. Okay. It's a process that you facilitate. Now that obviously that word is uh, appears in habit five. It's a process that the reliability continually reliability engineer continually facilitates. Okay. You may de delegate that if you've if you've got subordinate reliability engineers for different departments and stuff like that, but. Essentially, the reliability engineer should facilitate this process continuously, and it should only take you about two and a half hours uh, a month to do this process, including including catch-ups on how projects are progressing as a result. Okay, um, so habit one, all about identifying problems. Two types of problems: acute and chronic. So everyone typically knows about the acute ones. They're the big bangs uh, that happen in the plant, get get attention immediately because the plant has stopped. It's costing us a lot of money, all of those sort of stuff. Also recommend in combination with that, you identify chronic problems. Okay, so they're all the little things that are starting to grow into something big. Okay, so as a part of that process, you do that. And, um, and that should be a continuous process. Okay, and we obviously talk about what that is uh, in the book. So, you know, a session where you sit down and decide on your projects and then short, sharp catch-up, uh, um, catch uh, let's call them meetings or get-togethers um, where you actually identif identify how you're actually travelling with that, with that process. 
that a little bit of habit five. Is that is that answer your question there, Rob? Yeah, absolutely. And you know that the difference between chronic problems and acute problems, it's something we've talked about a fair amount on this show. You really have to identify both and you have to sort of be able to quantify them in terms of dollar savings on an annual or multi-annual basis. Yeah. Not well, okay, dollars is one part of the pie. Okay, so obviously that for your audience, uh, management audience, that's that's a big piece of the pie. Don't forget, um, don't forget the other groups that that um, that are in that have to say yes to this implementation, and that's your obviously hands-on people and your technical people. Okay, so your production people could be more interested in minutes of lost production. Okay. Um, now I've had a case and I talk it's a story in the book um, where we had uh, we were done identifying which machines were causing the most production downtime and so I presented that in the typical Pareto <laughs> uh, plot okay where we ranked you know the highest one first and then so on and so on and what I did there was actually plotted the amount of downtime per shift of this particular machine over time, i.e. I was trying to deduce whether the problem that we had was chronic. And the answer on this particular machine, it was, and it was growing, uh, i.e. it was number one, costing us the most downtime, and number two, the downtime was increasing on average per shift. And what was the response of the manager once I showed that data? We've got to fix that. Team, we have to fix that. So he immediately went into, um, let's call it leadership mode, and started engaging the team, i.e. the technical and hands-on people. We need to fix that. What ideas do you have? We actually started cracking into <laughs> habit two uh, automatically once um, once that uh, data was was presented. Um, you know, I got a, no word of a lie. I got that response by doing that. That's awesome. Now, you know, you separated those three groups out of managers, technical people, and essentially your shop floor people. Hands on. Yep. Yeah. How do you recommend like altering your, like the framework of what you talk about with each of those groups? Yeah. So um, I take a little bit of a leaf out of Ron Moore's book when it comes to that. What's in it for them? What's in it for them? You know, you essentially are going to ask, and Ron Moore talks about the bow wave. Essentially, um, what you are going to ask them to do is something different. It's going to take effort. It's going to take extra energy. So what you've got to do is when you engage in a conversation with these people is say, it's going to be worth it. Okay? So it's worth you taking some extra time and energy and effort to implement this to get a, a return on that investment. Okay, so obviously from a management point of view, they're very much on numbers and dollars and all that sort of stuff. So you've got to do it in that way. Okay, from a technical um, point of view, like your production and your engineer type people, if we make some investment in a root cause analysis, for example, and we want to target um, halving our production loss time on this machine, okay, and the plant runs well, okay, 
for your hands-on type of people and your maintenance type people, if we make this change and install this new piece of equipment and learn how to um, repair it, okay, take them off the job and learn how to repair it, a little bit of investment in time, we forecast that you will not be back here for another six months to repair this thing or do work on this thing where you can go off and do other stuff. Or we are forecasting that by doing this, you won't be doing unplanned repairs on the, on this machine, taking you off jobs, frustrating you because you've got to drop that job and go and work on this one. Um, so that's, that's an example of how you would pitch. Okay. It's pitch would be a, an excellent word to describe what you need to do to each of the different parties. And for each of those different parties, you're going to have to subtly change your pitch. Absolutely. Now for me, when I look at reliability, facilitation and implementation are kind of the two things that I I kind of gravitate towards in terms of seeing reliability success. So I really like your habit number five. Do you want to give us a breakdown? Like what are your top tips for habit number five? So habit number five is obviously value delivery. Okay. So uh, just to, just to summarize, if you've been doing all the other four habits and you're not doing habit number five, okay, uh, you're not delivering the value. So habit number five is where you actually deliver the value. Things change, okay, where, where things change. So my tips for habit number five, is, well, the first one is I call it let's get dirty, okay. Um, get out there, for example, and go and work with someone like Jackson in the book, okay. So Jackson, the the tradie or the craftsman, and and be a trade. Uh, we call them trades assistant. I'm not sure uh, what you guys call them um, in in the Americas, um, but uh, we call them a trades assistant. Um, so you know, I'm a mechanical engineer. I've got an understanding. You know, this is a this is a wrench. This is a, a you know a nut. Uh, you turn it clockwise generally to do it up and any clockwise to undo it um, and can follow instructions. Um, so get out there and get dirty. Get dirty with these people. These people are hands-on people, okay? This is what they enjoy to do and, and appreciate and understand that. Uh, appreciate and understand that you may not be a hands-on people and are really strong with habit number four, decide with data, you know? I've seen some really, really great people that can manipulate Excel spreadsheets unbelievably way better than what I can um, but they drop the ball when it comes to uh, habit five and, and engaging with people and this is one of the tips that I do and I've been out there um, with the guys um, you know we had one of those moments where we had a production process down and um, my response to that was being a production engineer in this case actually getting out there and helping the guys and uh, to actually start the repair, we actually had to clean the machine. So I was actually there cleaning the machine, and the process of cleaning this machine was hitting the hitting the the um, let's call it the byproducts <laughs> of the process off with a sledgehammer. And um, or do you understand sledgehammer? That's not an Australian. Yep. No, we we have sledgehammers. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. Rather large. Rather large hammer. Um, and um, I was I was there um, with people like like uh, Jackson in the book. They were bigger guys, certainly bigger guys than me. And um, they were swinging the sledgehammer, and and you know um, we had to physically um, beat the stuff off the machine. 
And um, I said, I want to have a go. I want to have a go. <laughs> and then they're going, they're going, oh, seven, seven, no, 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 you can, you. You know, you shouldn't have a go. You're an engineer, da da da. And I said, "Give me a crack, give me a crack, come on, boys!" Like this, and and um, they said, "All right, you have a go." And only go for five minutes. Anyway, <laughs> after fifteen minutes, they were telling me to have a break. And and a little bit of a secret about me: my father was an industrial blacksmith, um, and I can't remember not holding a hammer in my hand. So, in my life, I've always sort of been a hands-on sort of person myself. And so after 15 minutes, I'm still swinging the sledgehammer, <laughs> um, essentially because I've sort of been been trained by my father to do so. And then, oh, seven, seven, stop, stop! You need a break. Da, 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 da. And I and I said, and I said, no, I'm still going, I'm still going. And I said, no, you have to stop. You know, hand, hand it over, give someone else a go. Anyway, while this was all happening, and you know, it was really, really interesting because I I stopped swinging the sledgehammer and had a break and had a drink of water. Uh, this is in the middle of summer in Australia, so um, it was reasonably hot. And um, anyway, the thing that I noticed is I turned across and had a look across at the barrier that we had put up um, to to segregate the work area. And here were two managers standing there watching us. And I looked across and I thought to myself, you know, we have stopped the production process here. We're like, it's all hands on deck. I was in there myself as a, as, as a production engineer and here's the two managers over there pulling us apart. You could see that, like, I'm sitting there looking across and I said, blokes, you should be in here with us. You know, you should be in here with us. We're all on the same team. And what I felt was those two guys standing over on, on the barrier over there, you're not part of the team. That, so that's what... Get, getting in and getting dirty is all about is is becoming part of the team, becoming part of the team, and that's one of the tips that I that I use to um, or one of the things that I do. The other one is power of touch. So again, when it comes to um, facilitating changes with these guys, give them something to play with. <laughs> okay, give them something to play with. A new let's let's call it a new toy. Who doesn't like a new toy? And and um. Now, getting on getting onto the Internet of Things and 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 whatnot, and um, I've had a little bit of exposure in in this space, and I know it's getting a lot of coverage uh, from various parties about the Internet of Things. But cut a long story short, we implemented our own Internet of Things solution from scratch. I was involved in 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 setting that up. Anyway, so we were convincing. Here's another story. We were convincing um, our technical people that that the Internet of Things uh, devices that we had built ourselves, right? We had built these things ourselves, were actually going to work. And what we did was um, a bench grinder, a hook, hook, it was a vibration device. I hooked it up to a bench grinder because I said to the technical people that were building them, they were like uh, controls and automation engineers, and they were using their skills to build these IoT devices, and they were. One guy was straight out of uni. He was a graduate guy out of uni, not really known by the team, um, hadn't been there for very long, and he's produced this, you know, beautiful, gorgeous device <laughs> um, that works, and, and 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 it was done so cheaply. Um, it was um, it was uh, just simply amazing the, the the cost that these guys were producing these um, devices. 
And anyway, we had it. I had it hooked up to a bench grinder, and you know the technical people were a little bit skeptical that we could actually produce a vibration device for this price. Okay, so essentially what these people have done is they've taken mobile phone um, accelerometers and turned them into vib- a vibration detection device. Now, the tech obviously technically it's not going to obviously detect high frequency um, stuff in in vibration, as in like stage four bearing faults. <laughs> um, but um, that was not its purpose. It, it was purpose to tell us that, um, you know, something was wrong before the machine destroyed itself. So it, it was all indications were that it was going to be quite effective at that. And so here we are presenting this to our technical people. Here is our solution to one of the things that you guys wanted. And we were producing them for in the low 100s of dollars, okay, material costs. So they were quite cheap compared to some of the stuff that was on the market at the time. And so, of course, we got, you know, we had the skeptics in the room. So I had this thing hooked up to a bench grinder and we had a live stream. I said to one of the guys, can you give me a live stream from this thing? And I threw a technical challenge out and they said, and they said, oh, yes, we can do that. We can do that. So we had this live stream and these guys were so skeptical. They thought that we had a mock-up, like we had it all pre-canned and everything like that. And what had changed was I came up and I tapped the sensor on the um, on the bench grinder with my finger with it turned off and then the screen changed and they went whoa hold on this is live and they said yeah and I said yes it is live oh they're going we thought you had mocked this all pre-canned this all up and I said no 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 this is live and then one of the guys stood up and said seven can I come and do that and I said yeah sure come up and tap it I don't mind (laughs) like this and he sat there and he tapped it five times in a row to make sure that the screen changed five times in response to his heavy and soft taps and after he did that he says when are you guys going to have these things ready bang when are you guys going to have these things ready and then we got we had pressure change from you know developing the device to give them a like a a product that worked to how fast can you can you build these things we want to implement them so that's the power of touch, and I find it works with technical people and, and hands-on people, okay? Another tip, move in. So typically, you know, reliability engineers are, you know, are involved with uh, maintenance departments. So if you are working on something with the maintenance department, move into the maintenance department. If you're working on something with the technical department, move in with the technical department, Okay. Be there, be seen. I don't know if you guys call them foreign orders, but you'll get asked to do tasks that are sort of off track to what you're supposed to be working on. Um, we call we call them we call them foreign orders in Australia. I don't know what you would call them in the Americas. I'm not sure if it's the same thing, but be there for the uh, you know the foreign orders or the external tasks because that's how people build trust. You know. If you're working on a rather large project and, and the delivery is not for months down the line, but you're still there and you're delivering small little things to them that are helpful, that's going to obviously build trust and, and build in your in your capability. And, and if you're not there, you don't get those opportunities. Um, and the last one I'll leave, leave you with is celebrating. Now, uh, celebrate is all about celebrating 
the things that you avoided. Okay. Um, so I've been known to put on a barbecue each month. Um, I was a maintenance manager there for a while. Um, and we'd put on a barbecue each month and we would celebrate the things that we avoided or changed for the better. Okay. By all means, if you've had one of those moments where the, the proverbial hits the fan, um, you know, and it's all hands on deck and you've got to get in there and fix something, by all means, thank the people for their effort above and beyond for helping out with that, with that um, particular problem. But don't celebrate it. Okay. It's something that you want to avoid. It was bad. Okay. But celebrate routinely the things that you have made better or avoided. Okay. So subtle difference there. Subtle, subtle difference. And I found it's really, really effective. I've had people look forward to look forward to these barbecues. They know it's coming up. I've had people help, um, you know, offer help to cook sausages or whatever we're cooking. And, um, you know, and it's a time to get the team together, have a chat. Um, and, and typically what I do is integrate a little bit of a speech in there um, about what we had implemented in the last month um, and what we had avoided in, in the last month. And, and thank guys for that. And this is, you know, this is the benefit of, of doing that, you know, and just reiterate those benefits because, you know, day to day, day to day, you get lost in the day to day. And, and I call it trench warfare where you could be down in the trenches and you've got your head stuck down because there's a whole heap of things um, um, getting fired at you, thrown, thrown at you. Um, and it's very, very valuable in my experience stopping and getting up, pulling your head out of the trenches, having a look around and seeing what's happening. And are you actually heading in the right direction? So, you know, I'd, I'd sort, of, sort of combine that with a little bit of a barbecue at the end of the month, a bit of food. A um, bit of time to stop and reflect, and and it works. It's worked in my in my experience. Yeah, I really I really like that one. Now, Peter, I guess before we get you out of here, do you want to like you're the founder of Reliability Extranet, and for people listening, they can go to reliabilityextranet.com, and you also have you have a quiz for the five habits. Do you want to give us a little background on that? Yes, so um, the quiz is all about, uh, it's like a self-test. So you can go there at any time, totally, you know, no, um, no restrictions or anything like that. You don't, um, you, and you can go there. So if you go to reliabilityextranet.com forward slash diagnostic or from the home page when you hit uh, Reliability Extranet, there's a, a five habits menu option and the first one is the five habits diagnostic take the test. Um, and you can go there and assess yourself on each of the five habits. Now, interesting, interestingly, um, uh, what has seemed to happen, and I um, is, is an observation, people seem to be really, really strong with habit one, two, and it starts to uh, taper off with three, four, and five is typically the lowest score. Okay, um, but you know there is always exceptions, and and, and encourage um, everyone to um, go there at any time. Uh, even come back if you've taken it once and made some changes, and come back and, and do the test again, um, and record your your scores. It gives you a score, and it gives you like a high, medium, and low ranking as well. Um, 
and um, and see how you're traveling. You know, uh, it's uh, it's going to be there for forever and a day. So it's um, it's one of those things that um, you know people can freely use at any time. Yeah, it's it's definitely a great resource. And I guess you know my last question for you: if anyone's listening, and you know they want to make some improvements and become an extraordinary reliability engineer, like where would you recommend they start? If you haven't got the decide with data skills as a base, um, you're going to struggle. Okay, so what I recommend that you have, start with Habit 4 and that's decide with data and get your data analysis skills. Now, if you're a technical people and you're and technical person and you're good with Excel, um, you know, you're not going to have a problem. Um, but you, what you need to do is be able to uh, present that data convincingly um, so people are saying yes. Now, a little bit of a, um, a tip. What... I found with, say, products like Microsoft Excel, they're a spreadsheet, um, okay, and yes, they can do lots of stuff, and for me, uh, Excel is more of a prototyping tool, not a production tool, and uh, if there's one free thing that you can do now to help automate your Decide With Data Habit 4 is Microsoft's Power BI, okay? Um my story with Power BI is um, one of the managers gave me, um, showed me some photos on his phone from a recent trip to Europe where he came into my office and said, Seven, do you know about Power BI? And the answer was no. <laughs> I don't know about Power BI. And he said, have a look at this. And he started showing me some photos on his phone, which was Power BI screens implemented on uh, large format TVs, televisions. Okay. So what this particular plant had done was um, basically automated habit uh, for decide with data using Power BI. So hands untouched, these screens updated themselves. Okay. And so if you want to, so most people will say, oh, we struggle with time. If you want to find the time to do habit one, two, three, and five, and, and more importantly, five, um, if you, and one of the biggest, we call it a time suck in Australia, but a thing that sucks all of your time, <laughs> right? A big time suck is actually sitting there and processing data in Microsoft Excel, for example. Uh, if you're good at macros, the macros fall over, blah, 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 like been there, done that. With Power BI, Microsoft Power BI, you can automate a whole lot. You don't have to do once you set it up once, you don't have to do any ongoing um, touch points with Habit 4, for example, decide with data. So this is where, you know, in the future, I don't, I think time spent on doing Habit 4 is going to minimise because you've got all of these automated tools um, to allow you to do it. But the thing is presenting it so in a way that people say yes. So if you want to start, start with Habit 4 and look to have that process totally automated and a tool of suggestion. Everyone's got Microsoft stuff. Microsoft's Power BI gives you that ability to automate Habit 4. Awesome. Yeah, put the, put the technology to use because it's definitely very useful. I, absolutely. And the people, that, the people that have been like myself, you know, Excel and Microsoft Access, if you've used those two Microsoft products, you're going to love Power BI. It's absolutely awesome. Um, 
you know, and, and a lot of my time, so I do a little bit of um, uh, coaching and consulting uh, as a part of what I do. And I can tell you now, a lot of my time over the past 12 months has been um, helping people automate habit for decide with, with data, either production or reliability, and or I've actually been involved with a bit of HR side of things as well. Um, like the HR people are now um, uh, getting on, on board with this automation of, of habit for. Um, and, it's, and Power BI is free to get into, free to author reports. Um, so totally encourage people to have a look at it. Interesting. So Peter, you know, I want to thank you for coming on the show. I, I, you told some good stories. Thank you. <laughs> no worries. Uh, you probably tell that I like telling stories. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's great. So Peter, do you have any, are you going to be at any conferences coming up or do you have anything else to plug other than reliability extranet? <laughs> yes. Um, next one is in Australia. There's the Operational Excellence Conference here in Australia, in Melbourne. Um, and I've been invited to help out with that conference as well. That one is in August. So um, if you'd like to meet me, I'll be at the Reliability Conference in Seattle and also at the OPEX Conference in Melbourne, Australia in August. Perfect. And yeah, and for anyone listening, if you want to follow Peter on LinkedIn, either check the podcast notes or he'll be tagged in the post if you got there through LinkedIn. Yeah, yeah. No, LinkedIn is my um, my primary social media. I've also got um, a Twitter um, handle as well. So I can I can um, shoot you through those details as, as well, Rob. But LinkedIn is my uh, primary uh, social outlet. Let's call it that. <laughs> Perfect. So, Peter, thanks for coming on. No problem. You're welcome, mate. We'll definitely have to get back into it another time, but we're running out of time today. <laughs> yeah, no problem, mate. Anytime. Anytime. You're welcome.